0: The following sermon is from Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you've never reached out to Calvary before, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Dr. Dan. If you have your copy of the scriptures, join me, if you would, in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Oftentimes when I tell of my salvation story, I mention that I got saved in 1983 at 6 years old. But I also wrestle with some questions about was I saved at 6 or was I saved at an older date in time. Because from the age of about 17 to 24, I kind of walked away from the Lord. I I, I still went to church, but I really, if you looked at my life... you would not see a lot of evidence that I believed in Jesus Christ. And, and so I really wrestled with that, and I didn't get baptized until I was like 12, but that wasn't for any reason that I know of as far as me not showing that I was saved. Uh, just I'm not sure why I didn't get baptized. I just wasn't, but I got baptized at 12, did the church thing, and then from 17 to 24, uh, the wheels kind of came off. And then something interesting happened. Here's kind of how it went, and some of you have heard this before, and you'll probably hear it again, but uh, I would go out to the, kind of the club thing on Friday and Saturday night, and uh, you know, and I would come home, and around the age of 24, I would start to feel like guilt, because I knew that I had gotten myself really far from God because of the choices I was making, the way I was living, and the night's activities made me feel guilty, so I would turn on Moody Radio, the Cleveland uh, repeater station, and I would hear Mike Kellogg's songs in the night, and I was listen to that because I knew I was far from God, was feeling guilty, and I was trying to feel close to him. And eventually over time, I br- there was a breaking away from my old friends, because I, I knew I couldn't keep living that way. But here I was on this island. I was broken away from my old friends, but I, I really wasn't connected to, to church. It, I, church basically for me was an event that i went to not a family to belong to and so that's how it was for me and so i, I would go to there i actually managed to find christ a couple christian coffee shops in cleveland and, and and so i would get the left behind books and i would go there and i would read them that was how i spent friday or saturday night and uh, it was it kept me out of the clubs and it kept me sort of out of trouble but i was never really connected to the church and then some of the men from the church had a men's Bible stu- Sorry, not a men's, men's basketball. To be honest with you, I wasn't going to show up for a men's Bible study. But we had men's basketball, and so I went to that, and eventually I was invited to join the, uh, the youth ministry as a part of a, a leader, adult leader on the team. And, and in that, uh, I began to connect with other Christians who were about my age. And so I began to have this, well, I, I wouldn't have said it then, but looking back, I guess that was the first time that church sort of started to feel like, like family. And, and so when, once that began to happen, it was in short order that there was a transformation that began to take place. I was far less likely to slip back into my old ways because I was connected to church, and it wasn't just a Sunday morning event. It was a family that I was increasingly a part of. See, one of the things as Christians we talk about is the gospel includes this idea of the absolute truth that we are saved from, from, from judgment, we're saved from God's judgment, we're delivered from the consequences of our sin, but included in that is this great part of the story. That people who are far from God and each other are brought into one family through faith in Jesus Christ. See, church really is intended by God to be family. And so we're going to take a look at what that is supposed to be according to the Scripture. So we're going to look at Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 22. Let's begin with verses 11 through 13, where we see that when you are without Christ, you are without God and without hope. I'm going to read through and I'm going to pause and comment because there's a lot going on here. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Pause. Let's talk about what we just saw there. When he talks about them being Gentiles, he's pointing out, hey, you who are ethnically Gentiles, non-Jewish, you were, you were far from God. You were called the uncircumcision. And most of the time, a person, may, even if they were interested in becoming a Jew from the Gentile world, the barrier that kept them from fully involving themselves in the Gentile or the Jewish religion was the matter of Circumcision. And so when you see there the words, you were called the uncircumcision, you could paraphrase that as, you were unwelcomed. You were unwelcomed. You were outside of the people of God and and outside of your far from God people. Let's continue after the comma. Uh, You were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, as opposed to the spirit. As Christians, we have a circumcision of the heart, Made by the Holy Spirit. He's making a contrast even if he isn't fully developing it. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Pause. Where he says commonwealth of Israel, let's simplify it. That means land and people. And you guys weren't a part of it. We weren't a part of it. All right? Let's continue after that. Covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's talk about it. Where he says there are covenants of promise, I don't want to develop this too much, but when you look at the Old Testament, there's a bunch of covenants. And there's the Noahic covenant where he, God promises never to destroy the earth. There's the Abrahamic covenant, and I think that's what he's really getting at here. And, and we'll come back to that. But then there's the, the, uh, the Mosaic covenant where the law was given. The Davidic covenant where God made a special promise to David that he would always have a descendant to reign on the throne of the kingdom forever. And that promise comes to Jesus. But I think the, pro- the covenant of promise that he's specifically referring to is the Abrahamic promise where God says to Abraham, Hey, Abraham, get up out of the land of your father and go to a land that I will show you. So take all this risk. Leave comfort behind. You're going to go somewhere. I'm just not going to tell you where until you get there. And he says, get this. I'm going to bless you. And then I'm going to bless those who bless you. Think first, Pharaoh, that blessed Joseph. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. Think the later Pharaoh who cursed the Israelites. And so he says, look, I'm gonna, I want to bless the whole world through you. I'm going to bless you, and this is how we're going to determine who's going to be blessed and who is not. And then in chapter 15, some time has unfolded. Abraham is older, Sarah is older, and he says, uh, hey, God, uh, you've made this promise to me, and it's great, and I really appreciate it, but I have no children. And so when I die, the promise to me will die with me. Are you going to do something about this? And, and, and God says, hey, come outside, go outside. Get out of your tent. Look up at the skies in this wilderness and look at the stars. If you can ha- count those stars, then you will have some conception as to how many children you're going to have. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then in chapter 17, they have this formal covenant ratific- ratification ceremony where Abraham was circumcised. A- and for a man to be circumcised as an adult is undoubtedly an act of faith. And, and so he's pointing out this covenant. He's saying, look, there was this covenant that God made with, with Abraham and God wanted to bless not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also. And you knew nothing about it. That's how far from God you were. In Galatians 3, 7-9, through 9, Paul was talking about the same thing. Just listen to the words. Check it out later. Galatians 3, 7-9. through 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And the point of all of this is, look, before you Gentiles came to Christ, you were so far from God, you you didn't even know that there was good news available to you because God wanted to bless you through Abraham. You were completely unaware of this. I think it was around 2007 I heard for the first time something that I didn't think was possible as an American. In 2007 I heard the first time of a Christ, a person becoming a christian who had grown up in america who had never heard the gospel there's a ministry that's still functioning called kai alpha and they do they basically send out people as missionaries at college campuses wonderful ministry and this missionary shared with our church how he had gone to this college campus in chicago and and how there was this girl from this kind of rich upbringing and never heard the gospel in her entire life, and she gets saved, and and they're going to have a baptism. So they, she invites her family and her friends, and she kind of has this this really awesome thing because you have these parents who are really well put together, knowledgeable, intelligent people, well educated. Didn't know how you were supposed to function at a baptism, so they bought her this massive Bible. They're like, I guess she get him a Bible at a baptism, you know, not thinking about it, you really don't you know take that with you to church. It's one of those big coffee table Bibles. And she gets up, and before she's baptized, and she says, I know that you, many of you don't know what I'm doing here, and you don't understand it, but I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I am getting baptized to declare my death to sin and resurrection to you. So here we have, when, somebody, when you tell me that someone's parents never even heard the gospel and didn't know what to tell you, and you grew up never hearing it, that's, what, that's a picture of what it is like to be far from God. And that's what he's describing. Not only did you not have, uh, you had no relation with God, and you didn't even know there was hope available to you. There was an evangelism professor from Southern Seminary where I went to school, and his name is Jimmy Scroggins, and he went down to Florida. He left behind the, pa- the professor position and became a pastor uh, of this kind of large church. And, 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 and what he describes, and he created an evangelism tool that I love called the Three Circles, He realized quickly that a lot of the stuff that he was using wasn't going to fly in South Beach because the people were far from God. They didn't know what sin was. They didn't know what the gospel was. They didn't understand that they were far from God and didn't know any of that stuff. They began to realize quickly his deep theology books weren't going to get the job done when it came to reaching people. They're far from God. And I think he used these verses as the, as the foundation for a lot of what he talked. He said, we have to find ways to reach far from God people, but they don't even know they're far from God, and they don't know there's hope. How do we move them from far from God to the cross? And he says, so he comes up with this beautiful picture. You ready? All people were created by God with a purpose, on purpose, and when we live life God's way, we live in the place of blessing. But all of us have sinned, and we end up... Uh, far from God, he says we do things our way and the Bible has a word for that and that's called sin and that leads to brokenness and every single one of them can say yeah I've experienced brokenness in my life, I, my family is broken, my, uh, I've experienced addiction, my, my father and I are. we haven't talked in years and, and all this sort of stuff, they knew what brokenness was And he says, listen, I'm going to share with you a different way of looking at life. I understand that when we live life God's way, we're blessed. But when we do things our way instead of His, it leads to cursing. And that stinks, but that pain that you feel from the brokenness is God getting your attention. You can't fix you. And then he shares the gospel that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes down to this earth he lives a sinless life. They are, he allows himself to be arrested. He allows himself to be put on trial. Because the Son of God isn't put on trial unless you let him. Unless he lets you do that. And then he's, he lets them crucify him. And he's dead and he's beaten. He's broken. He's bloody. And his death was paying for our sins on the cross. They buried him. He was na- when he was on the cross, he was naked. His friends abandoned him. They buried him. And three days later, he rose from the dead. But God doesn't just want you to hear this. That's a great story. I'm so glad about that. What God wants is for you to turn from your sins, put your trust in Jesus Christ, uh, and believe in him, believe the gospel, and by faith you'll be saved. You receive the Holy Spirit who then enables you to reclaim his original purpose for your life. And part of that original purpose, which we're talking about this morning, is being connected with God the Father and with other believers the blood of Christ made that possible. So he's saying, remember that without Christ, you are without God and without hope. And sometimes I can imagine a person coming to church for the first time and they, they know that they don't kind of look put together like the people with the shirts and the ties and, the, and they think, okay, well, I didn't grow up in a preacher's home like the preacher's kids. Am I somehow farther away from God? Well, kind of, that's what he's saying, but only because you've never heard the gospel before. But my kids, your kids, you, me, missionary, missionary kids, all of us have to come to the place where we say we know that we're guilty of sin, the judgment of God is upon us, but the solution for our sin problem is Jesus Christ, and I am bowing my knees before him, asking for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. It does not matter how far you are from God right now. The truth of the matter is we all come to Jesus the same way. The repentance of sins and faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And as much as it's true that my children are growing up in a home that the gospel is present, and I teach them the gospel and I teach them theology and all of this stuff, there's no guarantee that my kids are going to put their trust in Jesus Christ because they too are born with a sin condition that they inherited from me. But he's telling, hey, look, this is how far you were from God. You didn't even know there was hope. So remember how remembering how far from God you once were should fill you with humble gratitude. There's a beautiful story that Jesus tells. He describes a man coming into the temple, beating his breast. Have mercy on me, the sinner. Now I don't know what the guy had done, but he knew he was a sinner, and he knew the only hope was God have mercy. But then the Pharisee, the guy who grew up in Sunday school like me, is over there and he's thinking, thank you for not making me like him. You know what Jesus said? The one who went home after beating his breast and saying, have mercy on me, that's the one that was justified. Not the one who didn't think they needed to be forgiven. So he's reminding them of all of this, how far they were, how God brought them together, why? Because I think there was division in this church. And he was trying to undercut it and say, Look, don't be arrogant, Gentiles. You were far from God. You were, some of you were prostitutes. Some of you were using opiates. Some of you were on alcohol. Some of you, I can't even mention what you were doing, but now you've been brought into the family of God. Your relationship and my relation with God should actually ooze humble gratitude and being reminded of what we have received in Christ is the thing that brings us to that place. Let's continue. Verse 14 through 18. Through Christ, you have peace and unity with God and other believers. Verse 14. For he himself, he who? He, Jesus. He himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down the, the in his flesh the wall, dividing wall of hostility. In other words, there was two separate groups brought together. In the blood of Christ and the, the body of Christ which was broken for you. And, and so he's tear, torn down the dividing wall of hostility. We're going to come back to that. Fences make good neighbors, but they don't make for good families. Let's continue. Verse 15. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two. Time out. What are we talking about here? When he says he abolished the ordinances, the commandments, and all of this talk. Here's what's going on. In the New Testament, the New Covenant, the righteous requirements of the law didn't just go away. Like, it's not okay to all of a sudden... Um, love other things more than God. It's not okay to have idols now because we have Christ. It's not okay to to beat up your neighbor and steal their stuff now because we're in the new covenant. The righteousness is still righteous in the New Testament. The difference is we are no longer as children of God condemned just because of sin. I didn't say just. We're not condemned and removed from his family because of sin. That's why the Bible says, get this, in Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of the law is still available. It's still there. It's still right. But no longer does obedience to the law keep us right with God. It is through faith in Jesus Christ because the blood of Christ makes it possible. Uh, Let's continue. I'm going to pick it up from verse 15. He did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What hostility? We'll come back to that. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Those who were far off, Gentiles. Those who were near, Jews. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So what's this dividing wall of hostility? Well, the law. Here's, a, here's what's going on. The Jews said, hey, uh, you Gentiles, you don't keep the law. So you're, not only are you uncircumcised, you're unwelcome. And to be honest, the Gentiles probably weren't that interested in keeping the law because sin is fun for a season. So they were outside of that, and Jesus comes, and the offer of peace with God is presented to them. Right? So we, in America, I think paganism is growing, and we don't know it, but that's the truth. We have a paganism that's growing. And what Basically what Paul is saying is, hey, you pagans, you're not interested in obeying God right now, and we understand that, but through faith in Jesus Christ, you can become a child of God. And so then there's this hostility that they had between them and God was the fact that they weren't interested in living righteously. We just say it plainly, they weren't interested. Then he says, Hey, Jews, there was hostility between you and Gentiles, but guess what? God was hostile to you because you had the law but were not obeying it. So in Christ, this wall of hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles and separated us all from God has been torn down. And now we have this family of God. And that's good news. Because through the cross of Christ, both Jews and Gentiles, and that's us, were reconciled to God and each other as one. Where there was hostility, there is now peace. And if it isn't so, in our hearts, we need to repent. What's going on here? I think that Paul here is led by the Spirit to address one of the sinful tendencies of mankind. Because one of the sinful tendencies of mankind is to turn cultural, ethnic, and political differences into walls of hostility that divide us. And Jesus changes that. And that's what he's calling for. What's this look like? About, hmm, seems like a lifetime ago. I was 26, 20 years ago. maybe be 20 years ago this summer. I went on a mission trip to El Salvador with a group called King's Castle Ministries, and we went and we're presenting the gospel in dramas we hardly knew what we were saying because we're communicating to Spanish speaking people and they had these buses that we went on and there were these people we called the nationals they knew the language, the culture, and the borders and they got us going where we needed to go but they were brothers and sisters in Christ and they were in training to become missionaries still we had sort of some differences like obviously they were a little more tan than we were and when a group of we'll say Americans walked down the streets of El Salvador on a busy street, you better believe they were gawking and looking at us. So these were people that got us around where we needed to go safely, but on the bus, after you're doing ministry to people in the name of Jesus Christ, you begin to realize, this is my brother, and i got to get to know him better. And so I had a little Spanglish, and he spoke really good Spanish and a little English, and uh, we kind of worked together to try to get to Know each other, and, and even how difference. You know, obviously you can focus on the he had better tan than I did. You could focus on that, and but even simple things like the stuff that we thought was funny. My friend Greg and I, so we're guys, right? So guys pick on each other for fun. In case you don't know, girls. In case you don't know, guys like to pick on each other for fun. And my friend Greg and I were on the bus between visits uh, between places we're doing our gospel presentation, and we start teasing each other, and. I was doing it in Spanish and he was doing it in Spanish Spanish we knew and the nationals were like no like they literally thought it was about to turn from funny to not a laughing matter like literally they thought there was about to be this large American man fighting with this other large American man on a bus full of teenagers they thought we thought it was hilarious but they were mortified they thought this is what this type of talk men kill each other in their country over and you think it's a joke and so I said it to say there was differences of culture that we had to overcome because they were our brothers in Christ but that is what the gospel creates a new family yeah I had to tone it down I couldn't, Greg and I couldn't do the joke that we thought was funny anymore at least not in front of them One of the sinful tendencies of mankind is to turn cultural, ethnic, and political differences into walls of hostility. Notice I didn't say race. Because there's one race, the human race. And God has sent Jesus to save us all. See, the gospel unites, here's an important distinction, unites sinful people who repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ from every tribe, nation, and tongue into a loving relationship with God and with each other. Jesus once said that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said the rest of the commandments hang off of this. This is the, this is the foundation of our moral treatment of other people. What is going on here is Paul is kind of building on this. It's kind of beneath the surface, but He's saying, look, you love God, and you're in this love relationship with God, but guess what? Now you're in a loving relationship with others his family. They're not just neighbors now. They're family members. And so we're, Paul, what was going on is that people who have loved sin more than God and their neighbors are reconciled to him and each other through faith in the crucified Son of God and the repentance of sin. This is what united them. Not how they voted, not how they looked, fact of the matter was though Gentiles and Jews you couldn't really distinguish them for the most part by how they looked, but you could distinguish them by what things they would and would not participate in but now they're brought together two people groups who wouldn't even eat meals together are now family verse 19 to 22 and I think this gets us to where I think God wants me to bring it home for us Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are welcomed into the family of God. Verse 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Pause. If you're a person that doesn't view it as a sin to write in your Bible, uh, circle the words members of the household of God and write family. Family. Verse 20. Members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the keystone upon which everything else is built. The apostles were brought in, and now we're being built up as a temple where the presence of God. is. Verse 21. In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The Spirit is the mortar that holds the bricks together. Where The Spirit is a thing that is the person, rather, who brings us together into this family and holds us together. Jesus, I believe it's with you. somebody once said in the Bible, I didn't look it up so you can check it for me later, that God inhabits the praises of his people. And I think that's through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so in the Bible, there's all kinds of imagery to use to get, try to get this idea across of what God has created in Christ that we call the church. Some places it's the bride of Christ. Some places it's a temple. And so he's saying, look, Christ is the, the foundation. It's the cornerstone. The apostles are kind of added to him as the foundation, and everyone else is added to him. And is there that the presence of God is felt and so in Thessalonians Paul says don't quench the spirit it has to do with how we treat each other and then here where I want to emphasize because he's talking about all of this is he's calling the church the family of God that's what it means when it says the household of faith through faith in Jesus people from every background from every family of origin when they turn from sin to Jesus are brought into the family of God one of the interesting things if you actually stopped I don't know if you've ever noticed that in the New Testament, and really even into the Old Old Testament too, the most common terms to describe what God has done and is doing are family terms. When you read words like inheritance, you think money, but that's a family term. It's passed down from one family member to another. When you see words like brother, sister, adoption, household of faith, you see words that are conveying family concepts because for us to understand what God is doing he put it in human phenomenon only it isn't a human phenomenon God created family and so he brings us together with God as father this idea that the most common words in the New Testament to describe the church is is family includes Jesus teaching on prayer they said, Lord, teach us a pray." and he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Did you catch that? Father, our Father. He didn't say my Father, although he is his Father. Our Father. Family. So when we come to God in prayer, and we do what Jesus taught us, and exactly what Larry led us to do this morning, we are coming to To God as Father as a family. Christian, God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters. God wants you, wants me, wants us to understand that his church is our new family and he is our Father. Through the cross, God is making a family for himself. Church should feel like family now when I thought wrote that down I started to think you know for some family doesn't bring up warm fuzzy feelings I remember sitting in my in my house and I look out the window and I was I'll just say living in another town and I saw vehicle after vehicle show up and people walking out the front door with various items like shotguns and whatever else found out later that the man who lived there had died and his kids showing up to make sure they got what was theirs wanted their inheritance they want to make sure their brothers or their nephews and nieces didn't get it first so I get it now family doesn't always bring up warm and fuzzy feelings and everyone comes from a different family experience I'm gonna share with you a little bit of mine Uh, Bill and Jeanette Kenoy are Christians they brought us to church We're not really a huggy family. And you know what? I'm not really a hugger either. Chrissy's family, I think I hugged my mother-in-law when we got married, and then this Christmas was like the second time. I took the initiative because she's kind of like, eh, Dan's kind of the stoic dude, right? Her family's a little more huggy. But here's the thing. Mom and dad's side of the family, my parents, their experience was nothing like ours. I'll just leave it alone other than to say Jesus Christ changed our family. And then on Chrissy's side of the family, uh, Kenny and Linda raised Christian kids. But they too had a very distinct moment where God got a hold of their family and there was a change there. So I understand that the idea that church's family doesn't always bring warm, fuzzy feelings but I've come to know that our culture is hungry for real family watch TV shows you'll see it there's one of the shows that Chrissy and I like to watch there's two of them Chicago Fire and Chicago PD family everything's family which is wonderful people are hungry for it that's why it resonates with people Chicago PD that's more like a dysfunctional family with lots of hidden secrets by the way, there are families that have lots of generational hidden secrets who say, how do you know this stuff? Because I've been a pastor for a long time. Well, it feels like a long time sometimes. Long enough to have seen a thing or two. Cheers. Sometimes you want to go. I'm just going to say it. Where everybody knows your name. They're always glad you came. Might I suggest what they're really getting at is that hunger for a true family. And they will never find it until they come home to God and find in a loving church. But can I tell you one thing I've come to know after, I don't know, as a young adult and an adult having to go go to different churches, a church that feels like family feels like when you find it, it's like finding lightning in a bottle. But it's not supposed to be this way. I didn't ask Brad for permission to share this story, but I think he'll be okay because you look good in the story. He's like, no, you will. He shared with me once when he first started coming to Calvary that he went up to Pastor Joe and said, "I feel so welcome here and safe." Without missing a beat, in Pastor Joe's simple way, which simple based on long experience, he said, "And we've got to protect that." Paul is protecting this. Because if you've been around church a long time, you know that it doesn't always feel like family. But it's supposed to. And you can wait for somebody else to create it, or you can take the initiative to create it yourself. And sometimes that requires being vulnerable. And I can't promise you, you won't ever get hurt in church. I've come to know from personal experience there ain't no hurt like church hurt and you don't experience it from people that you don't really know well enough to love really well so there is a risk so I understand that when I say church should feel like family it doesn't always bring up warm and fuzzy feelings because everyone's got experiences that are not always the same but I want you to know that God is doing something new trying to create the family that everybody seems to hunger for but it's so elusive church should feel like family when you come to church you should walk away saying i feel like i just left home not that i'm going home and can i tell you i hope that guests come to calvary and say i feel like i've come home I don't agree with every... I'm going to tell you one other thing about church, family, and life. This is stuff I've heard, seen, read, heard from others. People may come to your church and say, I don't like and agree everything they stand for, but I can't deny that I feel like I came home when I'm there. And that's what I want for us and for anybody who sets foot in Calvary, I think, because I think that's what God wants. The person who is born again through faith in Jesus is adopted born again into the family of God and now this brings us to an important question Christian do you view your church as your family or as an event that you go to the difference will make all the difference in the world and if you're not I don't say this as a criticism if you view it as a and just saying you're missing out, there is a blessing there that you can't get when we're just an event. Because the Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation, but in a vital connection with the family of God. So, how do we respond? For the Christian, you know, maybe your experience right now for various reasons, maybe you got stung in a church and it's hard to really jump in, take a risk. Find a Sunday school class. Go to to lunch with me and the men tomorrow. Take a risk. Maybe those of you who are like, no, I know this is family. It feels that way. Maybe you see others that you go, I don't think they're getting it. Let me reach out to him. I'm going to share a story that I wasn't going to share, but here we are. At Christmas time, there's we have a family member. Uh, Chrissy's family is all Christian, all Baptists, and obviously I'm the Baptist preacher. And well, I just say we had a gal that came in, a family member. The kind of dresses. Well, she came dressed kind of like she had just left a gay pride parade. Her family dynamics are very different from ours and she obviously was dressed different than us and it's, here's, this isn't a secret in the family. I'm the Baptist preacher. Right? So she comes to Christmas and doesn't always come but she comes this time and it's obvious that there's like this wall of hot separation. So what do we do? Pretend it's not there? Have a good time without her? Or do we actually reach out and try to make her feel welcome? It doesn't mean I'm endorsing her way of life. It does mean I'm trying to practice Christ's way of life. And he loves sinners. And wants them to be a part of his family. Did it all go smoothly? No, I kind of learned I got him ask better open-ended questions to make conversation happen. But sometimes folks will come into our church who don't think you're supposed to wear a suit In I think it's weird that I do probably or a tie or even you know, maybe they wear pajamas I don't know you could condemn have fun without them or maybe help them enjoy the blessing that you are having I think that's what God wants for us finally as Chad comes for our song of response the gospel is a simple thing Really, we're far from God because of sin. And God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He lived a sinless life. Died on a cross in our place, the just for the unjust. He rose from the dead. And what God says is, if you turn from your sins, turn to him as faith, call on him as Lord, he will hear you and save you. Because whoever calls on the name of the Lord in faith will be saved this morning, if you'd like to do that, I invite you to make your way to the front or to help you call in, He will hear you and he will save you. Please stand for our song of invitation. You've been listening to Dr. Dan Kitnoya, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website calvarytilton.com That's calvarytilton.com